Test X2, take one. Speed. Now, Bruce, just look right into the camera lens right here and tell us your name. My last name is Lee. Bruce Lee. Bruce Lee is just one of the many attractions at this year's San Diego Asian Film Festival. Welcome to another episode of listener-supported KPBS Cinema Junkie podcast. I'm Beth Accomando. I'm adding a bonus podcast this week so I can talk in-depth with Brian Hu, Artistic Director of the San Diego Asian Film Festival. This year, COVID may have forced the festival to cancel its in-person event at cinemas. But wait until you hear about all the innovative ideas they've put into play to make this year's event fun and exciting. So without further ado, here's my interview with Brian Hu. Brian, you had to cancel the Spring Showcase because of the COVID pandemic. Now you are putting on your main Asian Film Festival event for the fall. What are some of the challenges you've been facing with this? The, the challenges actually have, haven't been related to technology, which is what, what we thought it might be. It's actually, I feel like, an overload of um, an entire season's worth of events over the summer that have now been postponed into the fall. And I think people now from their homes have access to way too many virtual events. Uh, Maybe not way too many. I mean, choice is good. But for us, obviously, it's harder to distinguish ourselves. So that's what we ended up. That was the challenge. How are we going to put together a programming slate that's going to be different than the rest and hopefully be exciting and uplifting and exactly what people need right now. Well, it's impressive that your opening film, 76 Days, feels incredibly recent because it actually deals with the pandemic. It's a miracle that this movie exists. So the film is 76 Days. (laughs) Takes place completely in hospitals in Wuhan during the 76 days in which the city was shut down. And I think that, I mean, in the United States, we get a certain perspective of what was happening in China, right? We, we hear certain things from leaders in government um, about the, the, the evils of, of China, but even from um, the mainstream, I mean, even from um, press, like we often hear just in terms of policy and numbers and statistics, we don't get to see like what's actually happening in these hospitals and the interaction between doctors, nurses, and patients, and how these healthcare providers are really making this up as they go along. And their solutions are incredibly powerful and show the persistence of the human spirit and the drive towards healing. And I feel like it's the kind of movie we read right now to recalibrate our relationships with a global pandemic so that we can want to help each other. And I feel like it's in that spirit that we wanted to begin our festival this year. One of the films that I think is outstanding in terms of both creating a portrait and also exploring that Asian American experience or the Asian experience in America is Be Water, which is about Bruce Lee. And instead of it being just a portrait of this amazing actor and stuntman, we get a real sense of what it must have been like to be Asian in America at the time that he was trying to work. Yeah, I mean, surprisingly, this biopic of Bruce Lee, right? Like that we, you, you have a certain idea of what that might be. I mean, there's no shortage of 
authorized or unauthorized movies about Bruce Lee. Test X2, take one. Lee. Now, Bruce, just look right into the camera lens right here and tell us your name. My last name is Lee, Bruce Lee. But you realize while you're watching this, you know that this is more than that. This is about the 1960s and 1970s in the United States for an Asian person who lives in Seattle and who comes to Hollywood and sort of communities that he builds within his, with, with, amongst other Asian Americans, but also amongst other people of color and their Kung Fu studios that they, they sort of center around. Um, I love hearing that Bruce Lee had a Japanese American girlfriend in the 1960s in Seattle. You never think about the fact that he was just this ordinary guy who was trying to find love and that he did so through from a with a Japanese person no less right like you think about Bruce Lee's films as being Chinese like nationalist um, for the Chinese but that that it, part of his background is is thinking cross ethnically about our collective hardships and with that kind of ethos we appreciate his his later films anew. And one of the fun things about the actual screening of this documentary, this film and another one called Get the Hell Out are going to be outdoors. Yeah, we really wanted to do something in person. And but of course, to do so in a way that was safe and that doesn't promote, you know, a frivolous culture of not taking a pandemic seriously. But the drive-in has become the new way that people watch films as in groups. And we, so we just created our own drive-in. Um, we really wanted it on Convoy. Um, this is an area with a lot of Asian businesses that people go to when they're looking for, for food, for shopping, for groceries. And so Zion Market has graciously provided for us their parking lot, their giant parking lot. And so we got an AV team to put together the screen, the projection, and what better way of, of honoring Bruce Lee, actually, and kind of older traditions of going to the movies than to do it as a drive-in screening. And the other film is a Taiwanese zombie comedy called Get the Hell Out. And one of the things that was uh, fun and interesting about this is it begins playing off of the real chaos that goes on inside of Taiwanese parliament occasionally where they throw water balloons and furniture. I mean, this, this is sadly true um, that the that Taiwan parliament has been known, maybe less in recent years, but for, for quite a while was known for their fistfights. Um, what, what, things got physical in government. <laughs> What a fun premise for thinking about where can we take this? Where can we take the, the parliamentary fights than to introduce zombies and mayhem ensues. But it's also such a great way of thinking about people's relationship with government right now. I mean, all over the world, really, uh, where the dysfunction of our legislative bodies makes us want to fantasize about how one, like one, how can they actually get anything done? And two, Maybe if we want to dismantle some of this, but how, how can we make it go down in flames in a purely cinematic way? You always have an emphasis on pop culture in the festival. And these are films that are really fun to watch and are films that kind of reveal something about Asian culture, but not necessarily in a direct way. And I'm wondering if, which of those you want to highlight for this. Yeah, so I, I think there are a lot of audiences who turn to our festival because they want to see Asian culture. And I'm not sure what they're looking for exactly, because one, there are so many Asian cultures and some of them are 
contradictory to each other. But also that I think people in Asia, I think there's like uppercase culture, which is, you know, like music and dance, but there's like lowercase culture, which is just how people live their lives. It's like what fast food they're buying tonight. Right. Um, And so films like this Japanese film called Project Dreams, How to Build Mazinger Z's Hangar. And first of all, the title of it is so cumbersome that you have to imagine this was not made for anybody outside of Japan. And maybe that's what makes it kind of culturally Japanese. But it's just about people in Japan who love this anime called Mazinger Z so much that they want to replicate a certain, not just a robot in the in the show, but like the, the hangar that houses the robot. Like it's just the, that level of fandom that they're trying, that these characters are trying to, to, to live out. I mean, there's something cultural about that in the sense of pop cultural um, zealotry and, and, and love. And that's the kind of alt culture that we want to highlight as well. Because to me, that, that is as much the spirit of Japan as, I don't know, kabuki theater is. You also have a film from 1960, The Husband's Secret. So you are doing some of these retro screenings as well. So not only do we get the most current thing, but we're also getting a look back as well. Yeah, this is really important to us this year. I mean, as, as it is in many places around the world, a lot of movie theaters in Asia were closed this year. And so, I mean, I'll just admit, like we had a lot, we had fewer films to choose from uh, because a lot of films need to come out in their local countries before they play the international film festival circuit. And so I thought, well, you know, we should be promoting other things that are happening in Asia right now, including film restoration. So yeah, these are older films, but they're new restorations of these older films. And and this is the kind of film work that is happening right now. And so, yeah, you mentioned the 1960 film, The Husband's Secret, which is a Taiwanese language film. It's not very well known uh, outside of Taiwan. (laughs) But when I watched it, I was shocked by just how modern it felt. Not just because it looks modern, because it looks almost pristine now, uh, because of the restoration, but also the characters, um, the way that they talk about sex and adultery, <laughs> it just feels so alive and contemporary. And that's the case for a lot of these restored films that we're, sh- that we're showing. Uh, we're, we have a film called The Chess Game of the Wind, which is a new restoration of a Iranian film that's long thought to be lost. If for many generations, it was only available kind of as a bootleg VHS, but somebody found it a few years ago in a pawn shop in Tehran. And they got the the original director to come out and help work on the restoration. And it is one of the most visually stunning films of 2020, even though it was made in the 1970s. These are just ways in which we're trying to make classic films feel alive. There are also other documentaries that you have, and one that I'm really looking forward to seeing is the one called Donut King. Yeah, so I I grew up in Southern California and... I grew up eating donuts, <laughs> I mean, like, as, as you do. I've always wondered, like, there are a lot of Asian people who own donut shops. Is there a reason for this? It seems like donut shops and a lot of other kinds of shops like this have become like the way that laundries used to be associated with Chinese people. Certain shops like donut shops are now associated, especially with Southeast Asian refugees. And what this documentary reveals is it's not because I know Cambodian Americans are especially predisposed to making donuts. It's that they developed this incredible network of entrepreneurship and community. 
where um, one man in particular, a refugee from Cambodia, uh, started to sponsor friends and, and family to the United States to help him work on what ended up becoming this incredible empire of donut shops that for generations kept out major donuts franchises or, or like national ones from, from Southern California. For instance, I love the story they tell about like, why are donut, why are donut boxes pink? And it has to do with these Cambodian Americans <laughs> that decided to make it pink. And now we cannot divorce donuts from their pink boxes. So it's really about how these refugees and immigrants truly shaped the the food culture of the United States. So you tend to have films from the Philippines, and these tend to be kind of epic, emotional dramas. And tell me about the one you're showing this year. Well, they're definitely epic when they're directed by Lav Diaz, um, who's the director of Genus Pan. We've shown a, a many of his works in the last few years, and in, including works of his that are four or five hours long. What Genus Pan is basically, it's a short film for him. It's it's only two hours and 40 minutes. And they are incredible. Um, they're, they're films that are, I mean, they're very slow. They're always in black and white. But what happens is as you just watch for extended amounts of time, you become lulled into this false sense of security. You, you enter the Lav Diaz wavelength. And then once he has you locked in, he knows he can do anything to you, including unleashing just unexpected brutality and ways of looking at the behavior of human beings as they're taken to the limits of, of morality. Um, and in this case, it's also about people in power and how power manifests in creepy and unfortunate ways. I have to confess to being an action junkie, and I love films in which Fight choreography is key to the success of the film. And you do have one which I have not seen, and I'm looking forward to, Wild Swords. I would say, I mean, I'll say this, this has been a harder year for programming action films, because those are the kinds of films that need to come out in theaters before they're able to be shown internationally. So Wild Swords though, what makes it so interesting is this is an independent film. This isn't made by one of the big studios in China. And it goes to show that, uh, that independent filmmakers are finding ways to go around the system. And even not just to tell sort of quote unquote independent stories that are usually, you know, like urban stories about ordinary people. But this, in this case, to, to independently do a wuxia film, where you have um, martial artists and different sects that, that battle each other and get revenge. Um, all the things that we have come to love in a, in a wuxia film. But here, because it's an independent film, you get the spirit of a director that's, that's you could tell he's speaking to other fans of the genre. Um, and and he, he, he knows that these fans have seen everything already. So how are you gonna inject new kinds of visual strategies or storytelling strategies? And, um, and Wild Swords does it just in such a such a, a memorable and uh, and distinctive way. And since we are on the topic of martial arts, one of my favorite things of all time is at your festival, Mystery Kung Fu Theater. So will there be some version of this in the virtual or outdoor realm? I mean, I love Mystery Kung Fu Theater too. It's for me also the things I love the most about our festival. And that's when we play an unannounced martial art film or Kung Fu film at in, 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 during our festival. Audiences show up, they have no idea what it's gonna be. And it becomes a raucous good time um, in which 
to get to see these films on a big screen with an audience. Obviously, this year, we don't have a big screen and we don't have audiences in quite the same way. I don't know if people know, but Mystery Kung Fu Theater at our festival was inspired by the old Mystery Kung Fu Theater TV, like weekly television series that happened in the United States in the 70s and 80s, where you would just tune in, perhaps maybe like on a Saturday morning or something, and you can catch some random Kung Fu movie. So that's what we're going to do. <laughs> so and it's going to be free. Uh, it's going to be like, tune, like waking up in the morning, getting your cereal and turning on the television. And luckily, we have access to Twitch. Twitch is a live streaming service often used um, by video game uh, players. And we're just going to live stream a mystery Kung Fu movie. In fact, we're going to live stream two of them. It's going to be a double feature, the way that this should be experienced. And we, yeah, we're definitely going to go back to our days of doing this in the theater. But I feel like this is going to be a really nice treat for people just to be able to do it in their pajamas. right? And no one will hear you cheer. It's going to be a different kind of experience, but for me, it's going back to the source. It's going to go back to like how a whole generation discovered Kung Fu films to begin with in the 1980s. So we, have, we actually have two other things that we're doing on, on, on uh, Twitch. Another is an Animal Crossing uh, gathering. I'm no expert on Animal Crossing, but a lot of people on our staff are. And I think it's so cool that they're just creating a virtual film festival experience on Animal Crossing. Like they, they created an avatar for me and they created like a red carpet and what looks to me exactly like the ultra star. And you could just go in and walk around and interact with each other. And I mean, it's like, we don't get to go to a, a physical space this year, but I don't know, let's, let's try to do this virtually and, and have fun with it, right? This isn't, this isn't gonna be forever, but this year we might as well make the most of it. And you can follow that on Twitch too, if, if you don't play Animal Crossing. And that's going to be on Monday and Wednesday night of our festival. And then on Tuesday night of our festival, it happens to be October 27th, which is the UNESCO World Day for Audiovisual Heritage. And that's a day that's set up in order to spotlight the work of film preservation and restoration. And, well, I happen to, <laughs> to have a stack of 16 millimeter prints at home. I, have, I am not able to watch these movies. I don't have a 16 millimeter projector. But... We at the festival happen to know someone who does, um, John Miller, the, the a, a, a San Diego treasure. Um, and he has agreed to project one of these 16 millimeter films. And we're just gonna put on a camcorder and, and stream this live on Twitch. And, and part of it is reminding us that this is not actually 16 millimeter. Like you're at home watching a live stream. How could, you're, you're not getting that feeling of the, tact, the tactile feeling of an analog medium. But isn't that what 2020 is all about? Like we do our classes on Zoom. We do like meetings on Zoom. And we, we've all been so cognizant of the medium specificity of analog experiences. And I feel like this is, a, this is a way for us to think about what is digital, what is analog. At the same time, honoring these old prints that, in a, that, are, that do not exist in any kind of digital medium, at least that's not subtitled in English. And so this is going to be a fun little experiment. Um, it's going to be on Twitch. It's going to be free. And we're not going to announce what film it's going to be. In fact, I'm going to hold up two 16 millimeter print canisters. I'm going to let the audience choose which one they want, like A or B. And, um, and so it has a lot of the spirit of mystery kung fu theater. It, um, but the film is not going to be a kung fu film. Um, but we're going to, you know, chase our celluloid dreams that continue even in the age of digital. All right. That sounds great. 
We did mention some action films. One director who tends to work within the genre and then pervert it and twist it is Johnny Toe, who's one of my favorite directors, and I feel like he doesn't get enough of his films released here in a broad way. But you are highlighting one of his latest films, Chasing Dreams. Yeah, I mean, we're, we used to play, it used to be a joke at our festival, right? That like, it's not a San Diego Asian film festival, just not a Johnny Toe movie. And it, he makes it really easy because he would release like two movies a year and they would both be incredible. So, so he hasn't made a film in a few years and we were starting to get a little worried, right? Is this, is this the end of the run? And then last year he drops Chasing Dream, which is a mix of mixed martial arts, hot pot <laughs> entrepreneur movie, uh, a gangster movie, uh, as well as a singing competition movie. And it all fits together perfectly organically in Johnny Toe's hands. I mean, it's organic, but at the same time, it's also rowdy and bizarre and just w with endless energy. And we're so glad Johnny Toe is back in full force. All right, I'm looking forward to that. And how is the festival going to play out for the audience in the sense of do the films drop at specific times? Are they available over the entire course of the festival? How can people actually enjoy the films? That's a great question because every festival is doing this a little bit differently this year. And in fact, we as a team had a lot of questions about what would be the best way to present our films. And we actually polled our members. Would they rather have set screening times where everyone's to show up, say like 7 p.m. on Tuesday night, we're going to watch the movie together and have a Q&A together? Or should we give audiences the flexibility, right? We're going to have a festival for an entire nine days and you choose when you want to watch which films. And for the most part, every film in our festival is going to be available for all nine days. So it's going to be video on demand. So it's going to be the way that people experience films from home right now, like through Netflix or if you're renting things on iTunes or Amazon Prime. That's the kind of model that we're working with. But we realize that we lose that feeling of simultaneity that is so intrinsic to the festival experience and so, like, so valued. So we are still doing some live Q&A sessions. So... Every, pretty much every night of the festival, we're going to have a Q&A where you can go onto our website, you can ask questions to the filmmakers directly. So we've scheduled those in. So if you want to participate in those Q&As, just make sure to watch the film with enough time so you can finish it and then enter the Q&A. And tell us about your closing night film. We're really excited about this film. It's called Mogul Mowgli. Uh, it's directed by Bassam Tariq. And uh, really excitingly for us, it stars uh, Riz Ahmed, who many people know uh, from his Emmy-winning performance in The Night Of. And in this film, he plays a rapper. And it turns out Riz Ahmed is actually a, a incredible rapper. <laughs> and uh, so part of the joy is watching him perform. But then it's also just this tour de force performance about a man who goes home and starts to find that his body is falling apart mysteriously. And part of the film is watching him adjust to this new reality, but also him trying to get a spiritual and family and romantic life together and professional life together. And, and so maybe what's happening to his body is a reflection of all these sort of unsolved conflicts that he's currently feeling. And, and, and really, like, this is a showcase for a director 
who is in full command of the medium through editing, through sound in particular. And then through this, this actor who gives such an incredible um, embodied performance. Well, there are a lot more films in the festival than we will have time to talk about, but I want to thank you very much for previewing this year's San Diego Asian Film Festival. Thank you as always. That was Brian Hu, Artistic Director of the San Diego Asian Film Festival. It runs through October 31st, with most of the films streaming VOD style the full nine days of the festival. And join me next week for a special treat, The Halloween Double Dare. It's two original radio plays written by Michael Miserani and just dripping with love for the horror genre. So till our next film fix, I'm Beth Accomando, your resident cinema junkie.